Welcome to On the Brink, a fresh lens to take you and your business to new heights. Hi, I'm Andy Simon. I'm your host and your guide. And as you know, my favorite listeners, our job is to help you get off the brink. How do we do that? We want you to see, feel, and think in new ways and understand that change is painful. On the other hand, if you begin to get the kinds of tips and tricks to begin to see things in a new way, you go, oh, that's how it's done. That's how someone else did it, and I can as well. So I have a wonderful guest with us today, Jennifer McCollum. Jennifer and I met through the Women Business Collaborative, and it's a wonderful organization for women of all kinds and all companies to come and participate as we collaborate to propel women forward. But Jennifer is here today because I just love what she's doing to help train and develop women so that they can become the best that they can be. So Jennifer, thank you for being here today. I appreciate it. Now, let me tell you about Jennifer, and then she's going to tell you about herself. And as you know, in our format, she does a much better job than I can. But here's Jennifer. Jennifer grew up in an entrepreneurial home in Germany. And there's a story there, I'm sure. And her unique childhood not only instilled in her grit and resourcefulness and an ironclad work ethic, but she describes herself as a hustler by 15 and a desire to help others, which I think is the important part here, to excel like she has to their full potential. You know, someone in our past offers us an opportunity to do something in our future. And sometimes we're not aware of it, but all of a sudden we go, ah, oh, I did that, someone else can. A little bit more, she's on a mission to help talented women rise higher and higher in positions of leadership. And on the other side of that, to help organizations understand how to enable them to do just that. To create the cultures where women can excel, thrive, and together, men and women can really do better. The winding road she's traveled led to her current position as CEO of Linkage. Linkage is a now a SHRM organization, the Society for Human Resource Management is SHRM, and together they have visions for how to take Linkage, quite frankly, to a new place. It's really going to be exciting. She oversees the strategic direction and global operations of the leadership development firm. The mission is to change the face of leadership. It's dedicated more than 35 years to advancing women and accelerate inclusion in leaders and organizations. She's an acclaimed speaker, a consultant, an author, and I love the fact that she her book is coming out in November. So we're going to time this so that you can see it. She's going to show you a picture of it in her own voice. It's got a really interesting story to it. And it's a very important time for her to share. We're sharers. And that's what this whole podcast today is about. My last little thought, because I sometimes forget this myself. She's a wonderful mother of three children, all guys. And I say guys because they're sort of grown up children. And I'm a happy husband and they love to travel. She loves to ski. And, and they, Jennifer and I have a lot in common. So today's talk is going to be very collaborative and congenial. Jennifer, thank you for coming today. Thank you, Andy. It's always very humbling to have someone else talk about you and introduce you. So I appreciate you. Well, you know, sometimes you say, who is that she's talking about? And I laugh sometimes because we haven't heard ourselves. It's hard to get a mirror that looks and you say, oh, that's who I am. Jennifer, it's important for the audience to know more about you. That bio is lovely. But at the end of the day, who is Jennifer? Tell us about your journey. And then how do we get to the next stage where you're helping women in all kinds of different ways? Please, who's Jennifer? That's such a big question. I have spent and dedicated a, a the last 20 years of my career to helping leaders and teams and organization fulfill their potential. 
And there's been a really special place in my purpose and my passion around helping women leaders. So even back, uh, you know, 30 years ago, I was creating pro bono uh, visioning webinars to help women leaders find their passion and find their purpose. And as luck would have it, I ended up five years ago as the CEO of Linkage. And as you said, our mission is to change the face of leadership. A big chunk of our work is focused on accelerating the advancement of women leaders, but also helping all leaders become more inclusive and purposeful. I can take you back a little bit further. I have 20, 22, 23 years in the leadership space. I run leadership businesses at publicly traded companies, now at, at Linkage, that was your that, as you mentioned, was just sold to a wonderful organization called Sherm. Before that, I grew up at the Coca-Cola company. Uh, traveling around the world, working on the Olympics and the World Cups and sports marketing. And then I evolved my career into leadership at the Coca-Cola company and beyond. Curious, because people often ask about our own journeys. You know, I'm an, an anthropologist, but I'm also an entrepreneur. And I was a corporate executive. How do you know where you're going uh, early in those years? Are we sampling? I often found myself, mm, people talk about imposter syndromes. I said, I've always been an imposter. I was never quite sure I was competent or capable. Others saw me that way. And I said, oh, that's interesting. How about yourself? Was there a plan to your journey or did you just sort of mm, made it happen? I love your use of the word sampling. I would even expand that into dabbling. <laughs> so, you know, I, and this was advice that was given to me early on in my career. And if it's helpful to others, uh, this was a senior executive at Coca-Cola who said, look, in your 20s, try a lot of things. Don't worry about money. Don't worry about title. Try and get a sense of what you're good at and what you're passionate about. So through my 20s, yes, I started in public relations and sports marketing and evolved into public affairs. But I knew in my 20s, somewhere around 26 or 28, that it wasn't I was good at it, but it wasn't fueling my passion or my purpose. So then the executive said, okay, in your 30s, really double down and take a lot of risk and like figure out where you can apply your, your skills and your passion. And it was in my 30s that I jumped ship from Coca-Cola to the, in, the world of the internet. And it was the part of the first internet kind of boom and bust. <laughs> and But that gave me the confidence to then create my own consulting firm. And so I became a consultant in the leadership space. Coca-Cola had trained me to do that. And that's where I really started to find um, what drove me. And so I was working with leaders and teams all around the world, but really buoyed by Coca-Cola's belief in me. And that was my launch pad to becoming a consultant in the leadership space. And then the executive said, in your 40s, put your head down and work really hard. And he said, make a lot of money so you can retire <laughs> in your 50s. What that meant to me was actually doubling down on what my passion was. So throughout my 40s, I went back to the publicly traded world. I worked for multiple companies running businesses in the leadership development space and really then found that it actually wasn't the designing and the delivering of the consulting as much as the management and the growing of the businesses designed to make the world's leaders a better place. And I have to say now in my 50s, it's a beautiful decade to be. I feel so aligned to that purpose. Well, and part of what you're sharing is that we can plan, but part of it is knowing ourselves. And I don't think that's inconsequential. It's not the job. 
it's really getting to know what makes us, you know, the good news is you were very successful regardless of which of those jobs you were in. <clears throat> but now the question is, what's my purpose? You know, what am I mastered? And how do I have the autonomy to go and do that in a way that gives me great pleasure and I smile when I wake up every day, huh? It's pretty cool. And I, and I think you're hitting at something really important and, and I'll call that clarity. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that's discovery of purpose, discovery of strength, discovery of passion. Some of us are lucky enough to you know, grow up knowing exactly what we want to do, exactly the contribution we want to make in the world. That actually isn't the case for most of us. Mm. And there's this process, and this is actually much more challenging for women than it is for men. It's one of the biggest hurdles that women face. And by clarity, we mean if I were to ask you, you know, look ahead one year, three years, five years, what does success look like for you in your life, in your role, um, in your environment? Women tend to define that through the lens of others. Mm-hmm. my team's success, my company's success, my family's success. And so that we call it the, kind of the skill, the muscle of creating clarity for you, for your own future is something that I've worked really hard at from my 20s, which gave me the confidence to leave Coca-Cola all the way now into my 50s. And I do it very regularly. That, that point of clarity is so interesting because I always knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur, but I spent 20 years in corporate um, in a very entrepreneurial fashion, and nobody quite knew what an anthropologist in business was supposed to do. So I could play that one out all the time. And you found that people weren't quite sure if you should have a PhD ad or not. But you began to think it's about, I knew I wanted to be in my own business. And after 9-11, I said, good timing. So that's 22 years ago. But like you, I knew who I was. was I, I'm a creator. I'm an entrepreneur. Now, how do I do that in a way that and be very successful. And I always thought of it for our clients being the beneficiaries of who we are and what we can do. It's less what we do than what they need. So it's a real interesting story you share. Now that you're at a point, that book is very much of a cataclysmic moment. A very, you know, it's a it's important. Books are important. You know, my third book is coming out in, in September. And every time we write a book, it's less about the book than about what it can do to help others. And I have a hunch this new book is very full of wisdom that you want to share. And and I I just love you to tell the story to our listeners about it because they will walk away with saying, oh, I got to get that book. Tell me what's in the book. Well, and thank you for asking. And going back to the clarity, um, if you look back on the vision documents that I created all the way back into the early 2000s, it always says, I am an author. I am a speaker. I am on stages impacting thousands. And it is now finally the result of <laughs> a lot of hard work that, and you've done multiple of these. This is my first book. This is the executive summary. It's actually coming out in November. So anyone can pre-order it. But, but what I am so um, excited about for this book is it takes 25 years of linkage data and research and frameworks and experience on what will it take to accelerate the advancement of women? Yep. And it puts it together with very personal stories, not only my stories, but other CEO and C-suite women to help all of us, women and men, understand what are the unique challenges that women face on their path to leadership and how we can how can we all support approaching gender equity in the workforce far faster than the World Economic Forum is predicting somewhere around the 125-year mark. 
Well, 125 years is almost impossible to imagine since you and I want it to happen tomorrow. <laughs> my, my, my question is always about why it's so hard to see the uh, opportunities. And it's two sides. Part of it is the way women see themselves in the others. And part of it is the way our society and our culture see men and women and, and their different roles. In the book, though, you've really begun to master that, to lay this out. Talk to me a little bit without giving away too much about the thinking behind it. And in her own voice, it, the title itself is telling you a great deal, right? So you framed it perfectly. There's there's really two sides of this. One is what we have more control over as women leaders. So mm-hmm. deepening our understanding, not of the external bias that exists in the world. And we could talk a lot about that another time. And it's real. Um, but it's really how that bias has been internalized and how we may be preventing our own advancement, consciously or unconsciously. So just to give you a, a little sneak preview, um, Linkage has has studied and we support it through coaching and assessment and development and our, our big women in leadership conference. We support the individual woman leader in overcoming some of those hurdles. The top three are clarity, which is what we just talked about. Yes. Um, the second one is proving your value, mm-hmm. where women tend to give and give and say yes and volunteer to more and more and more. And we call it putting your head down and over rowing the boat, hoping that someone will notice. And they usually don't. Um, And then the third one is making the ask. So we actually know that women and men ask for things equally. It could be money or title, but it also could be resources or flexibility or staff. But we know that women tend to retreat when they're told no. And we can learn a lot from you know, our male counterparts who tend to go back in. So how do you make the ask? When do you make the ask? So those are three of the seven or eight hurdles that we cover. The other side of this, which I love that you framed it this way, is what can organizations do? We, we actually call that the organizational surround. And we, we study these things. We know that there are very specific levers organizations need to pull. The first is around their culture. Do women feel valued? Do they feel like they belong? Mm-hmm. The second one is around their talent systems. Is there equity in the talent systems all the way from acquisition to pay to high potential selection to succession? Um, the third one is what we call executive action and commitment. This is one of the lowest scoring ones. And this is, are the executives truly committed to advancing women leaders? Are they doing more than saying the right things? Are they actually doing and modeling and sponsoring? Mm-hmm. Um, women or other underrepresented populations. And then the fourth one is the one that Linkage does a lot of work in, and that's leadership development for women. So again, we know that you know all leaders need to be developed, but women need to understand the unique hurdles they face and they need some, you know, we don't need to fix the women. They're fabulous leaders. We need to help them in overcoming the obstacles that exist to their advancement. You know, as an anthropologist, and I also have three leadership academies for three different kinds of organizations, um, the questions are very profound and very important to me in the work that we do, as well as to my emerging leaders who are trying to understand all this. But I often find that people don't know what to do. They say the words, they they have good intentions, um, but then when the action time, when the time comes for action, they go back to old habits. And we know so much about the neurosciences and the brain and the cognitive sciences that the habits are very comfortable. And so they go to whatever they learned early, whatever happened to them that seemed to work okay. And the idea of, of moving out into a foreign place where they're uncomfortable, the amygdala hijacks the whole idea and said, that's dangerous, go away. 
And so part of the work that we do is almost like theatrical performance. I said, we're going to change. You used to play Macbeth. And I share this with you because the metaphor seems to be comfortable for people to get. And now you're going to play Hamlet. And in Hamlet, the women get promoted and they get advanced. And But you don't have a script for it. And you haven't had any rehearsal time. And both of you need to play a different role in a different theater that is life. And I, I share that with you because what I realized is without rehearsal time, they don't practice. They don't know what it is they're going to do. Have you found the same or do you have a different perspective on it? Well, interestingly, I would actually use that kind of that frame of like both sides. So first, let's talk about the women themselves. And yes, yes what is comfortable? You, we can we yes. can extract you from your workplace. We can develop and coach and assess and send you to very inspirational conferences. And you will go back into the workplace if left to your own devices. It's scary. Yes. It's uncomfortable. How do you start to flex that new muscle? And so, in our very best. Um, you know, clients and the, and the very best scenarios, women are doing this through community. Mm-hmm. So they're not doing it alone. Mm-hmm. And we will have, and I'll give a big shout out to, uh, to Disney as an example. Will Disney will send 100 to 150 women to our conference across their business units, but they bring them together and then they find ways to keep them together in communities so they're supporting each other. And now a word from our sponsors, Simon Associates Management Consultants. That's us. And we're here to help you see, feel, and think in new ways. Whether you are an organization that's stuck or stalled, or an individual in that organization who's looking to rethink their own life's journey, Simon Associates has designed programs and processes to help you do just that. Our first book, On the Brink, A Fresh Lens to Take Your Business to New Heights, told the stories of seven clients who were stuck or stalled, and a little anthropology helped them see things through a fresh lens reignite their growth, and soar again. My new book that came out in January 2021 is called Rethink, Smashing the Myths of Women in Business. It's all about how 11 women, including myself, were able to see past the hurdles, the glass ceilings, and the brick walls and become the best that they could be. They heard things like women aren't lawyers and women can't lead and women aren't in geosciences. And they said, of course we are. And they really pushed through and did it with such ease that they want other women to see what's possible. At the end of the book, I provide a bit of a how-to process for you. If you're on the brink of rethinking your own life's journey, it's time to pause, step back, and ask yourself, where am I going? What's my passion and my purpose? And am I there, or can I get there? Send us your emails to info at andysimon.com, and we'll get right back to you to see how we can help. On andysimon.com are some free chapters for both books, and you can also join our newsletter and our Facebook group, Rethink with Andy Simon. We are bringing together women to help other women do what they can't do by themselves, very often to see what's possible and become the best that they can be. Come join us. And now, back to our podcast. Before you go on to the second, let me emphasize to the viewer or the listener that we're monkeys. We're, we, we, we model ourselves over watching others. And so that community isn't inconsequential because if I think this is what they want me to do and I don't see anyone else doing it, I flee it. But if I watch someone else doing it, I can model it and bond over it. So those communities aren't inconsequential. They are essential. Is that, make, is that consistent with what you're seeing? I'll go to my second point in a minute, but just based on that, I want to give you a really specific example this weekend. So it was 
Fourth of July weekend. I'm part of the Marshall Goldsmith 100 Coaches Organization. It means the world to me to be part of this. There were there's a couple hundred people in the group. About 150 of us gathered in Nashville this uh, just a few days ago, and this group is full of authors, thought leaders, academics, CEOs, coaches. It's it's an incredibly inspiring group. Three quarters of the group are like you. They have published book after book, and they're very confident as authors and thought leaders. So I show up at this event. I have a box of 200 of these. And my literary agent has said, you will ensure that this gets in the hands of every one of that network. <laughs> I got there and I realized like something was going on with me. I, I'm an incredibly confident as a CEO. Mm -hmm. I'm confident as a team leader and manager and mentor. I'm confident as a mother and a wife and a friend. I took that box. We call these things monographs. And I hid them behind the piano at the Belmont Auditorium in Nashville, this beautiful auditorium. And the monographs are hidden in a box. And I would take one out at a time and I would kind of sheepishly show one person at a time. And finally, it took a group. They happened to be this group of women that were surrounding me. And they said, well, where can I get one of these? And I said, well, they're in a box behind the piano. And they said... Why? What is wrong? What is wrong with you? Like, <laughs> here you are, a CEO, a thought leader, an author, and you're hiding your gifts behind the piano. <laughs> and it hit me that I needed that monkey tribe, right? I, I needed yes. community to help build my confidence. And it was such a big lesson for me. Yes. Um, I was trying something new. I'm 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 flexing a new muscle. Okay, so that's that story. Well, that's you a good story. To the Don't lose that story because for the viewer and the listener, those are the kinds of stories that will change the way you think about what you're doing too. And when you go to that meeting and you're going to hand out business cards and I've heard people say, I've left the meeting because I didn't feel comfortable. I said, push, go in there, hand out those cards, be real. Next point. So, well, and, and, and actually just to finish that, that point, when, and this is a huge problem with women, we call it recognized confidence. And it's another one of the hurdles. Look, you mentioned imposter syndrome just a little while ago when we were getting ready for this call. We know you can't beat confidence into anyone. You also can't beat imposter syndrome out of someone. But here's what you can do. You can develop the skills to promote yourself, like I was trying to do over the last couple of days. But if you don't feel ready to do that, I wasn't ready to self-promote as an author. I phoned a friend. And this is what women can do a lot better. Surround yourself with people, women or men, who will help hand out that card. What happened was they started grabbing 10 and 20 and were handing them out for me. Yes. And the response I got from people overwhelmingly helped me build that confidence. Yeah. So that's kind of another yes. tip and trick. Phone a friend. Yes. <laughs> you don't have to do it on your own. Okay. Good. Next one. This was, okay, well, what if, you know, you we invest and companies do, and they invest all the time in their women leaders. And those women leaders come back full of hope and confidence and optimism, but their companies don't change. Yes. Their manager doesn't understand what they've been through. They don't get access to that stretch assignment. The talent systems don't change. The executives don't really you know, act on what they've learned or what they've invested in. And this is one of the biggest challenges. And I'll tell you another story. And he's one of my favorite ones, Tom Greco, who has uh, up until recently is the CEO of Advanced Auto, a big client of ours. I was on a webinar with him about a year ago when they launched their Women in Leadership program. And he said, as the CEO, I will tell you 
our leadership does not represent our customer base. We need more women. We need more people of color. And I have done this before when I work for Frito-Lay and Pepsi, and I am going to commit to this and I will become a sponsor, my direct reports, their direct reports. By the way, that's 20, 25 of us and we're overwhelmingly white men and that is going to change on my watch. So that's an example of executive commitment in action. And um, that's what companies need to do. What do they need to do proactively to change their culture, proactively to change their talent systems? And we help with that as well. And I'll add one more dimension because I've had to work with boards who are also um, the white guys. And even if the executives were advocating, they always often rolled their eyes as if this was a sidebar, not the bar. And and conversations at board meetings weren't about, I can't tell you how many times I was the only woman on that board and or at a board meeting. I had one where there were 49 men, a nun and me. We didn't say very much. And people said to me, that sounds like a joke. I said, um, depends what time in our evolution it was. But the point is that there are different barriers along the way to transformation. And to your point, if the leadership really commits to it and it provides a now the question is, how do the, the men, the women and the leadership begin to see a different reality, almost a different visual of the whole world that we're living in with a whole different interactions and train each other to talk to each other? It's like a foreign language coming together. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, glad you, I'm glad you mentioned the board level there. I mean, as you and I both know, being a, you know very deeply entrenched in the Women Business Collaborative where we are making the most progress is at the board level. Now, it's not as fast as we would like, but we are making more progress there than anywhere else. At the CEO level, we've just crossed the 10% barrier in terms of the number of CEOs that, who are women. You know, Only 1% are women of color, so we can talk about that separately. Where we tend to focus is as we move down in the pipeline, the numbers still aren't changing quickly enough. So we've got about 28% women in the, what I'll call the the executive leadership ranks and 26% in the leadership ranks, kind of the VP level. And then as you go down director all the way to the manager level, we're just not making enough progress at all. And so it takes takes a couple things. One, we can't wait for CEOs or boards to become enlightened all at once. Um, we've We've got to focus on this from many different lenses. And one thing I love, especially because I know your your listeners are a very broad range across gender, across role, across age, and across experience, all of us can do something. Yes. And I talk a lot about this, this spectrum from allyship to mentorship to coaching, all yes. the way up to executive sponsorship. All of us may not be in positions of power and influence to be executive sponsors, all of us are in a position to be allies. In fact, that's what happened to me this weekend. The, the, the people who surrounded me to say, look, phone a friend. I'm going to help you. They were all my allies. And it was a really beautiful thing. Well, and but your story is a very powerful one as well, because um, in some ways you weren't sure how to ask for their support. Um, but they saw an opportunity to reach out and help someone. It wasn't mentoring, it wasn't sponsorship, it was collegiality in a very mm, sorority-like fashion. Um, but I have a hunch that the guys began to catch on to some of this as well. And and I do think that there is a desire to go better. Do you have any of the data to share on why 
the diverse, inclusive companies do better and why that's so hard to get people to pay attention to? I have, an, I have an anecdote. The data is so clear, Andy. You and I have seen all the various studies around when you have diversity. We can talk about gender diversity. We can talk about racial diversity. Those were, the, were where most of the studies sit. But whether it's at the board level, at the C-suite level, or at the leadership level, whether it's financial metrics like revenue and, and um, margin, or whether it's operational metrics like if more effective decision-making and better innovation, or whether it's internal metrics like engagement and retention, by and large, you know, gender diversity and racial diversity, every by every single count, it's better. So here's my favorite story. Um, Dr. Tanya Matthews is the CEO of the African American, the International African American Museum. It's just opening now in Charleston. So if you're in the Charleston area, run to that museum. And about two years ago, I was, you know, we were thinking about the the writing of this book and in all of my presentations, I was leading with a lot of the data. And I finally just got fed up and said, you know, Dr. Tanya, I don't understand why it's just so mind blowing that the data is so clear and any rational leader in, an, in a position of power to hire or promote, you know, at diversity, why are they just doing it? And she said, and I quote, you know, Girl, if it were all about the numbers, we would have solved this problem a long time ago. <laughs> I can hear her saying that. <laughs> I love her so much. And she said, look, the, the forces for change have to be more powerful than the forces to stay, the forces for the status quo. That is to do that, it's not going to be numbers and data. It's going to be appealing to the, the, the head and the heart, appealing to the emotion of, you know, of fathers with daughters saying, I want something different for my daughter. I want to make sure that if she wants to be a CEO, she has a better chance than 10% of the Fortune 500. And so, and or it's the Tom Grecos of the world. I need my staff to be reflective of my customer base. And that's not everybody that's ready and aware, uh, but that's where our starting point is at Linkage. We choose the clients who have that awareness and that readiness. Well, and, and that's a good point. <laughs> to try to work with a client who hasn't come to their own uh, aha moment or the realization of it is very difficult because you're going to be pushing this ball up the hill. But your your point about the data shouldn't be underestimated because um, as an anthropologist, we learned early, out of context, data do not exist. And I used to teach a course, is your data talking to you and can you hear it? And it's the hearing part because you'll take that data and manipulate it to do anything you like with it, including ignore it. You know, doctors love to delete the data that don't conform to the way they like to do things. I learned that early on. But to your point, the data is very compelling. And the whether it's your KPI, KPIs or whatever else you're looking to achieve as a leader, um, make sure that you've got alignment around that with the right people who can get you there, as opposed to pointing fingers, complaining and blame and find all kinds of excuses because often the resources are there and the gap is not that you don't have the resources is that you're not using them wisely. And to your point, then that requires a different mindset, a different set of values. And my last point before I go back to you is that we decide with the heart and the eyes. And that's extremely important. The data is in the head. I got to see it. So storytelling with the data is not inconsequential. What does this tell you? So, well, I guess the other thing I'd say is what are you tracking, right? We spend a lot of time with our clients who say, oh, you know, we're, 
we're tracking our um, you know talent acquisition, we're tracking our diversity metrics, and we're tracking our retention. And you know, we just say, you know what, that's great. Those are all lagging indicators. You've got to get ahead and start tracking the leading indicators. So when McKinsey uh, a year ago reported that the, there's a huge issue at the director level. So for every um, one woman who is promoted, two women leave. And at Linkage, we weren't surprised by that at all because we've been tracking. We've got about 20,000 women in our database. And with our Women in Leadership Institute every year, we're gathering thousands and thousands of women's perceptions around their organization. So we're actually at a macro level looking at what do they feel, what do they think about their culture, their talent systems, their executive action, and their leadership development as a woman, but also what is their commitment, their engagement, their values fit, and their net promoter score. And by every count, especially the net promoter score, that director level was a zero, which basically meant don't believe in they didn't they they didn't care at all to promote that their company was a great place to work for women. And their commitment was less than 50%, which said, I'm offered another job. Yeah. You know, that is similar in the next two years. Yeah. I'm out of here. McKinsey's great breakup is grounded in unfortunately good data, <laughs> bad experiences. I see what's happening. I'm not stupid. I'm out of here. And I'd rather go be, you know, a success in my own business. You were, or I am, and and yeah. not not fuss around with the, this other system that's evaluating us in a, a way that I can't get ahead. This is really great. Yeah, no, that's right. So I, I often say, look, we know, and this is this was super interesting. I mean, you may remember, you know, many more women lost their jobs during COVID than men, and there was this big concern across 2020 and 2021. Women in the workforce were the lowest that they'd been since the 1980s. And there was this thought that, oh my gosh, this is going to not only delay gender equity by a decade, which is what the World Economic Forum came up with, but how long is it going to take us to get back to above where we were with women in the workforce in the 80s? It only took two years. The women all came back to the workforce. But it's not that women are leaving the workforce. It's that they're leaving you. (laughs) They're leaving (laughs) your organization. And so, you know, our question to organization is, look, if you're having trouble retaining women or attracting women that's on you why is that like let us help you figure that out oh i can tell you many stories i'm not going to share them for now we are just about ready to wrap up you and i could talk for much longer about an issue of great importance to both of us um, mostly because we both have lived our ways through this personally and professionally and we have a bigger purpose which is to help others and their organizations really understand the richness that comes with mm, diversity of all kinds, cognitive diversity and challenging ideas, beginning to see curiosity, all kinds of things that will open up possibilities for them. I have enjoyed this tremendously. Jennifer, one or two things you'd like to end with so that folks can remember the wisdom that you've brought today. I'd like to offer a few things. And this is, I mean, I'm at a, at a really interesting, you know, pivotal point in my career with the book coming out. And as we um, integrate linkage into Sherm, it's it's kind of the, it's, it's landing the plane on a five-year journey. And I always think these are really important inflection points in life. So I'll leave with two things that are really helpful for me. If they're helpful for your listeners, I hope so. Number one is grab the opportunity when you see it. And this takes tremendous courage. And I'll go back to my first uh, leadership role in a publicly traded company when I was running a business unit and uh, my peer left. 
and I, and I saw the opportunity to run a much bigger part of the organization. And just as my boss was saying, we need to open the rec to get your you know peer replaced. I went in and said, I don't want him replaced. I want to run it. <laughs> and so I'm now thinking about what does that look like at this stage in my career? Um, so that's the first thing. And the second thing that uh, that goes along with that is don't move quickly until you have that clarity. And I could tell a lot of stories about how I jumped reactively a little bit you know, earlier, just even five years ago in my, you know, six, seven years ago in my career and, and made a mistake because I wasn't clear about what I wanted. So you're the entrepreneur. Um, I'd worked in a publicly traded, multiple publicly traded companies, and I landed in that sweet spot of the mid, you know, private equity backed small to mid market company. And that was my landing place, but only because I gained clarity. So I will offer up those two things. And finally, if you are a woman who aspires to advance in her career or a man or woman who aspires to support the women leaders in your life, please, please, please consider In Her Own Voice. It launches November 13th, but it's on pre-order on Amazon now. And I know Amazon awaits you with joy, <laughs> as does Jennifer. Jennifer, this has been joyful. Um, if they would like to talk to you further, is there a, the best place where they can reach you, LinkedIn or someplace else? Absolutely. So Jennifer McCollum, uh, Linkage CEO, a Sherm company. I am available on LinkedIn. And you can also go to our website at linkageinc.com. And as you can tell, she is a wonderful mentor, sponsor, colleague, idea person. And, and sometimes um, uh, you just you want to use her time very wisely. But also the book is full of her thinking that will help you as, as you begin to pursue your own career. And there is no straight line. The one thing you should understand is that while you may think there's a goal at the end here, there's really a path that takes you there. And the path is as much fun when you look back on it as it is to be certain. Humans want certainty. It doesn't work quite that way. So I want to thank all of you who do come. Um, our podcast is above the 5% globally of all podcasts, which is really an honor. We enjoy sharing with you. And our book, Women Mean Business, comes out in September, September 26th. It is a compilation of 102 women who share their wisdom with you. And if you think of the two books as a collage, you're going to have lots of interesting points of insight. And I always say, turn a page and change your life. That's what we're all about. How do we help you become the best that you can be? My other books are available on Amazon on the break. It is about anthropology and how it can help your business. And Rethink is about women who smash the myths of women in business. We keep wanting to help you change. And so today I will say goodbye with great joy. Jennifer, thank you for joining me. It's been fun. And I love your conversations. We'll be back. Bye-bye now. 